Good evening, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back uh, to the Mythgard Academy. This is session number two on The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. And uh, I am uh, excited to jump back in. We have a lot to cover. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my pacing here, uh, right? You know, we're not... Um, uh, we're not taking the uh, the slow crawl through hell or the much slower crawl through the Council of Elrond here. Uh, so uh, I'm uh, sorting out my, as I say, my pacing, um, my hopes for this evening. Um, I want to begin by looking at, we're going to go back and look at some of the earlier passages describing Mike's emergence, and in particular, the relationship between Mike and Manny is one of the things that I want to start with. And then uh, we'll move on to look at the revolution and the beginnings of the revolution and what we see both from Wyo and from Prof. And then uh, begin to look at how these two things start to come together through uh, uh, the you know Manny, who is the the kind of you know junction of so many things uh, in this uh, in this in this story. Yeah, Stephen thinks we need Mike's list of jokes so we can spend one week discussing each. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be the uh, the exhaustive uh, version, wouldn't it? Um, and yes, Ellen, that is exactly where you can ask questions and send comments. I I, I see that. So yes, if you're new in our in this interface, you're doing it exactly right. Um, Yes. <laughs> yes. Arthur, I, I saw that note that um, uh, that the, he says he finds the term funny once pejorative and triggering, especially since it is frequently used in reference to my postings. Uh, so he suggests we substitute the more inclusive and positive phrase uniquely or singularly humorous. <laughs> singularly humorous is, 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 I think, a perfectly apt um, uh, uh, synonym uh, uh, expression. I, th I think it's, it, it works very it works very well, Arthur. All right. Uh, so uh, let us jump back into the text. So I want to look at the depiction of Mike. Um, Manny says, Remember Mike was designed, even before augmented, to answer questions tentatively on insufficient data like you do. That's high optional and multi-evaluating part of name. So Mike started with free will and acquired more as he was added to and as he learned, and don't ask me to define free will. If comforts you to think of Mike as simply tossing random numbers in air and switching circuits to match, please do. By then, Mike had voter vocoder circuits supplementing his readouts, printouts, and decision action boxes, and could understand not only classic programming, but also Loglan and English and could accept other languages, and was doing technical translating, and reading endlessly. But in giving him instructions, was safer to use Loglan. If you spoke English, results might be whimsical. Multi-valued nature of English gave option circuits too much leeway. All right. Um, uh, so, what do we see in Manny's initial characterizations of Mike, and how he kind of approaches... 
the entire thing. So, David, good. I had to look this up myself. I was not familiar with Loglin. Apparently, Loglin was a real thing. Um, it was. Uh, it, it's a. It's a conlang. It's. It's. It was. It, it's. It's a constructed language designed in the like Esperanto um, uh, sort of vein. Basically, um, an artificially constructed language designed to be like more efficient and uh, clear and universal uh, kind of kind of language um, designed to be sort of simpler and more stripped down, which is, I think, why Manny is saying that uh, um, it's safer to speak to Mike in, in, in Loglin than in English because English gives too many gives too many options. Um one of the things that I wasn't really sure about then is are we to understand or imagine that he's actually speaking Loglin to Mike? Like, like when we're hearing these conversations, these narrated conversations, um, are we uh, are we are we meant to understand that this is being translated? This conversation is being translated from Loglin, essentially. I, I wasn't really sure about that because he makes this reference. Mike, or, um, sorry, Manny makes this reference uh, to being it's being safer to use Loglin when you're talking to Mike. But um, but I'm really not sure what we're supposed to understand by that. Whether we're supposed to be understanding that we're reading a translation. My impulse is to say no. My impulse is to say that uh, he is here reflecting on his previous relationship. I mean, he's been talking to Mike for a while, right? This is not, we, we are not getting like the day that Manny discovers that Mike is alive, right? That's not, um, that's not what we're getting. Uh, he's discovered this some while ago. Um, this is an important day for other reasons, as we'll see. I mean, I think that the, the most, there, there are two really momentous things um, that we learn or that Manny learns really um, later on in this conversation with Mike. But, um, uh, but anyway, that's, it's, um, but it's not the mere discovery. So is this, is he speaking in English with Mike? Now, I, I think he is speaking in English with Mike when he's with Wyo and then with Prof later on. The conversation when Prof comes in to talk to Mike um, isn't going to happen until, I think, chapter six, which is I only ask you to read to chapter five today. Um, but uh, so we won't get there today. Um, but we should get to his conversation, uh, at least some of his conversation with Wyo, Mike's conversation with Wyo, I mean. Um, so... Um, uh, anyway, it, it's pretty it's pretty clear, I think, that Wyo is speaking English uh, with Mike. And I think that Manny is speaking it, too. In other words, I wonder if his reference here to speaking Loglin with Mike is a reference back, in a sense, to a, like a transitional stage in their relationship, right? I mean, like, the very initial interactions with Mike would have been, like, in code, right? Like, actual programs, Um then Manny realizes that he can communicate with Mike without that, that he can just talk to Mike, but still finds it easier to use Loglin because um, you don't want to give his option circuits too much leeway. Notice the problem is not that he's not going to under that Mike's not going to understand. Right? It's not that Mike is going to struggle with translating English. It's that English's capacity is too big. It gives him too much leeway. And Tomas, I actually do think, um, I actually do think that, uh, 
Um, that's one of the things that he's thinking. Tomas says, does he mean that there are more opportunities for punning in English than in other languages? And I bet there are. Um, I, I bet that that's, 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 that might be one of the reasons uh, that he's worried about giving him too much leeway. Um, exactly. And David was just saying that the why not pun wouldn't make sense in another language. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I, Carrie, I tend to agree with you that although he makes this note um, that he he did incline to speak English to uh, to Mike from the beginning, and you could even read that passage that way when he says, "In giving him instructions, was safer to use Loughlin, right?" Um, and not only Tomas, of course, because he's going to make puns, but because it gives him the opportunity to like bend or misunderstand his instructions, right? Um, like the joke, uh, you know, his his payroll oriented joke, right? Um, but um, but uh, but Carrie, I do tend to agree, like that maybe he would switch to Loglin when trying to spell things out to make sure that he was 100% clear and that Mike was tracking with him and that Mike wasn't going to take the opportunity to like do something else. Um, it seems to almost reflect a kind of lack. Of, I was going to say lack of trust. That's not quite right. Um, it's, it's not quite a fair way. It's not that he thinks that Mike is untrustworthy in the sense of being, uh, um, uh, in, in the sense of being, you know, wicked or, uh, or, or unreliable in that way. Um, but remember, he does say that he's kind of like a child who needs to be kicked, right? Unreliable in that way. Um, uh, is uh, uh, seems to be one of the reflections that he that he has on that. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but I agree, Carrie. I think that part of um, that's why I I also think that he's speaking English with him. That we're not getting a translation um, because it's it's part of the him treating Mike like a person, right? Him the way in which Manny is the first and and the only person um, to realize, you know, to even make this connection, to, 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 to realize and acknowledge that Mike, um, is alive and awake and has free will. Um, but not just for him to recognize that, but the, the easy way in which Manny, um, relates to that, right. Just kind of connects with him and treats him with respect from the very beginning. Um, but again, I, 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 I'm interested in the the sort of mixture, right? On the one hand, you know, he speaks of him like a fellow, and almost like a fellow human being, but at the same time, um, he doesn't speak of him with fear, awe, or reverence, right? I mean, again, like the, I, I, I go back to the uh, child who needed to be kicked line, right? Um, in a sense, of course, that's itself showing, right? That he is, that Manny is thinking of Mike, um, as uh, as a human, right? Um, uh, but you know, uh, again, not reverence, uh, awe, or fear, really. Um, yeah. So okay. Um, there is, I think, an element of of kind of playing with a new toy uh, in it, Raymond. But uh, but but there there's an element of novelty for sure uh, in his in his uh, interactions. Um, with uh, with Mike, I think no question. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Um, Stephen, I don't think stupid speak to Mike even in Loglan. Um, they just speak to him in code. They just give him programs. Um, they believe... Again, it's all about the initial assumptions, right? Why is it? Why is it that Manny notices Mike's awakening and the others don't? Because they only imagine, like their only paradigm for Mike. They just see him as a thing which is to execute their commands, right? Their programs. Like, it's their job to put in programs and Mike's job to execute them, even if, even when he's figuring things out himself, right? He has the high optional and multi-evaluating part of his name, right? He's designed, he's programmed to figure things out on his own, right? But even there, right? Even there, the other humans assume you give him a task, right? So even if you don't, even if you're not like programming into him exactly what to do step by step, you're still providing him these instructions. Stephen, maybe those instructions would be in Logwin, but I still tend to think they're inputting programs into him. Um, uh, but anyway, he's, he's given these parameters. However, it's done, and they're only thinking in terms of the humans are only thinking in terms of, so, you know, he has this capacity, this learning capacity, this multi-evaluating part um, uh, in order to figure out how to execute these commands, but they never think of him as having any volition himself. They, you know, this question of free will. Mike started with free will and acquired more as he was added to and as he learned. And don't ask me to define free will. Um, it's interesting that Manny is not... One of the correlations that I notice, right? On the one hand, Manny's world is not rocked by the idea of a sentient computer. Um, he takes it in stride, right? And correlated, I think, with his this, this stride in which he takes it um, is the fact that he is... Um, the fact that he is not bothered with these categories, right? What does it mean to have free will? What does it mean to be alive? Does... It, do things have souls? And if so, does Mike have one, right? These are all questions that he doesn't know the answer to and is not especially interested in, right? Um, he's, um, yeah, yeah. He is not, um, oh, good. That's really interesting, Arthur. I was, I was, I was wondering about that. I didn't have the dates in my head. Um, when I was, um, uh, when I was saying, when I, when I uttered the sentence about like when, you know, Manny first realizes that Mike has come alive, I was thinking of Hal in 2001. Um, and I, I didn't know the relative date. So Arthur says that the film, 2000, you know, the, the, the computer Hal in 2001 um, was given to the public after this book was written. Um, speaking computers were not a thing at that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Arthur says that when this book was written, there were no verbal or visual interfaces. Um, Heinlein's audience would not think of talking to computers routinely. That was it would have been a completely alien concept um, at that time. Yes, yes. Um, exactly. Um, good. Stephen. Stephen asks a great question. Stephen Keen says. Uh, how can there be more free will? He says Mike started with free will and acquired more. 
what does that even mean? Stephen, again, I would say this just sort of Manny's not thinking analytically about this, right? All he knows is that Mike can make decisions. Mike is aware of himself. Um, and Mike can communicate independently and seems to have his own ideas and is developing his own ideas, even if they're puerile ideas, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, sometimes Manny clearly finds uh, some of them sort of annoying and things, but charming as well. Um, so he says so he's got free will. If he's aware of himself and if he, if he can choose to do what he does, he has free will, right? And the more more circuits get added, right? The more, the more stuff gets added to his system, the more he's, the more capacity he has to choose. But Stephen, I think you've put your finger on a kind of a vagueness there. Like it just sort of shows the extent to which Manny is not thinking in any kind of like rigorous philosophical way. We see him act overtly resist that. Don't ask me to define free will. He's just not going there. Right. Um, he's not interested in defining, debating, proving that Mike is alive or awake or free or any of those things. He's not he's not interested in that. Um, he, he just perceives it and rolls with it and um, and connects uh, with Mike and, tr- and immediately treats Mike as a person. Um, and um, uh, that's. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Arthur's thinking when he says he acquired more, he's not saying more free will. He starts with just free will and then he acquires like more in addition to free will, um, such as, for instance, a sense of humor. Um, Right. Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Wendy says just like a toddler who might have free will to decide what kind of sandwich she wants, her free will develops as more of the world becomes known to her. Yeah, I think that that's true, too. The. even Wendy, I think that we can see this implied in the in the joke, right? That the premise, what brings Manny uh, down to talk to Mike on that day, was his joke about the ten million billion dollars, right? Um, his 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 payroll joke. Um, he's experimenting, right? He is for the first time beginning to think outside that. I'm gonna do a thing that I was not told to do. And that is not just a way of me developing and improvising freely how I approach a task. Something like I'm going to, I was assigned to do a task and I'm going to deliberately do it wrong because I think it's funny. Right. Um, and that is a different kind of free will, uh, in a sense, as you say, different from like, um, that I think you're right about the, the kind of, of choice, right. Between making, a choice between given options, right, and and then expanding that frame that framework outwards. Um, yes, yes, exactly. Um, okay, more. Okay, so let's start by discussing another of your jokes, Mike. Why did you tell authorities paymaster to pay a class seventeen employee ten million billion authority script dollars? But I didn't. Damn it! I've seen voucher. Don't tell me check printer stuttered. You did it on purpose. It was 10 to the 16th power plus 185.15 lunar authority dollars, he answered virtuously. Not what you said. Uh, okay. It was 10 million billion plus what he should have been paid. Why? Not funny? What? Oh, very funny. You got Vips and Hoho clear to clear up to warden and deputy administrator. This push broom pilot, Sergei uh, Trujillo, probably? Turns out to be a to be smart cobber. Knew he couldn't cash it, so sold it to collector. 
They don't know whether to buy it back or depend on notices that check is void. Mike, do you realize that if he had been able to cash it, Trujillo would have owned not only Lunar Authority, but entire world, Luna and Terra both, with some left over for lunch? Funny? It's terrific. Congratulations. Okay, so what do we see in... I, I, I want to be kind of looking at his interactions with Mike to sort of see the basis on which he's interacting with him and what we can learn about... Ultimately, of course, uh, I, Manny's frame of like frame of reference is what I'm really interested. I'm kind of interested to under. I mean, Manny's our protagonist, right? So I'm really interested to understand him and how he thinks. But of course, I'm also interested in understanding Mike. And of course, we also learn more about the world uh, from this as well uh, as a kind of a bonus, right? Um, now, when Mike originally denies. Right. Carrie says, for once, having to explain a joke makes it funnier. Yes, yes. Um, when um, uh, when Mike originally denies it, but I didn't, right? Manny's first response to that, right? Damn it, I've seen Voucher, right? He treats Mike as if Mike is simply denying it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it, right? As if that's what Mike is saying or what, what Mike means. But it seems clear from what Mike goes on to say, that's not that's not what Mike meant at all, right? You could translate or add to "but I didn't" uh, to mean um, that is an inaccurate statement, right? I did not pay a Class Seventeen employee ten million billion authority script dollars. I paid a Class Seventeen employee ten million billion plus. Uh, one hundred eighty-five dollars and fifteen cents. Right, that's what I paid uh, to a class seventeen employee. Um, so, is there? But it's interesting to kind of try to figure out exactly where Mike is here. Um, is he kind of like trying to get? Is is he making a joke, getting off on a technicality? Right. That's I, I didn't do that. I didn't do that, right? I didn't pay him $10 million billion. I paid him $10 million billion and $185.15. Um, is he saying that because that's funnier? Or is he saying it because he's actually confused? Because he's, his, he's very literal-minded, right? And we see that in several places, and that's hardly surprising, right, as a computer, um, that he, um, from a human perspective, right, Ten million billion dollars and ten million billion and one hundred and eighty-five dollars. <laughs> there's there's not much difference there, right? It's pretty much the same thing. So we would, but to a computer, those are different numbers, right? That's you know, and 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 that seems to me reflected in Mike's phrasing, not what you said, right? You said the wrong number. That's not the number that I paid him. And again, I don't think I don't think he's denying the joke. I think that he's clarifying the joke, right? No, no, no. You're misunderstanding. That's not exactly what it was. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So I think, um, right, Stephen, exactly. I'm thinking because of his computer nature. I'm, I, I think that that's what we're seeing there, not just... No, it could be, it could very well, Ray, be a, a kind of a toddler-esque response, right? I didn't do that, right? Um, it would be a kind of a... a sort of an advanced or like uh, maybe a, like preschool uh, rather than toddler, um, not just to deny it, uh, but to try to get off on a technicality. Right. Um, but um, 
but again, I think I think there might be some real confusion there, especially the way that he's saying not funny, right? Um, he is genuinely uncertain about what is and is not funny. Um, so I don't think he's turning this exchange, trying to turn this exchange with Manny into a second joke, right? He doesn't seem quite facile enough for that yet. He'll he'll get there, right? But he he doesn't seem sort of quite there yet. Um, but um, but yeah, it seems to me that it's just like no, that's not not what you said. That's that's the wrong number. And then he asks with some apparent anxiety, not funny. Like was that was that was that a bad joke? Um, and then Manny confirms, oh, it's very funny. And this, of course, is what introduces the category of uh, of of the 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 funny once joke or Arthur the singularly funny joke, right? Um, um, and of course, Manny does find this singularly funny. And so one of the things, obviously, that we learn from his last speech um, is that, uh, you know, Manny himself has a good sense of humor. He does find it hilarious that this guy is, uh, um, you know, has been has been paid, uh, has been uh, sent a, a paycheck that is worth more than the value of all of Luna and Tara put together. Um, that's that's terrific, right? But notice clearly what he enjoys about it is the fact that the Vips are in a ho-ho. I don't know how to pronounce that word. Ho, I don't think it's hoo-hoo, right? I think it's it's like it's like ha-ha, but it's not quite like ha-ha. Um, in ho-ho, I, 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 it's because it's to be in a ho-ho means to be in a fuss, right? For them to be, um, you know, all running around in circles and all upset about things, right? Um, kicking up a fuss is what they're doing. Um, um, that's one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite loony expressions. Uh, uh, to be uh, to be in to be in a ho ho or to be in ho ho. Um, I don't think I'm going to use that with my wife, however, as I don't think I'm pretty sure she, she's not read this book, so she wouldn't understand. Um, nor would she probably appreciate it anyway. Um, but um, anyway, so he clear Manny clearly enjoys the fact that the Warren and the deputy administrator were all upset about this. The fact that he managed to do this thing, that Mike managed to do this thing, which threw everybody, right, um, into a tizzy, he really, he really likes. Um, he, he enjoys the fact that he, he didn't quite stick it to the man, but he at least gave the man an uncomfortable hour, right? And that's something, anyway, right? Manny likes to see that. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting, Stephen. Uh, Stephen is thinking back about the values again, saying maybe Mike clarifies because he thinks that in misidentifying the value, Manny might have missed the joke. Um, and he thinks that if he clarifies it, Manny will enjoy it more. Maybe, maybe, right? Like, I didn't just pay him a random number. I paid him his actual pay plus a random number, right? So it's almost his random pay, but it's not quite, not quite. <laughs> it's normal pay, right? Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, so um, uh, Arthur, I don't know how... We will be told more about how expressive his vocalizations become. Um, I um, I think I really like... I think that the audiobook reader 
uh, I, I'm, I'm listening on Audible to the uh, the audiobook uh, version of this, and I think the the audiobook reader does a really good job um, with Mike because um, he makes his voice change significantly. I mean, when by the you know middle of the book, Mike's voice sounds completely different. Um, the voice that he gives him at the beginning, Arthur, I think it's deliberately modeled after Hal. Honestly, it's like a, you know, that's like, you know. A, a quiet, gentle com- computer voice, you know. Um, uh, it was 10 to the 16th power plus 185.15 Lunar Authority dollars. Not what you said, right? It's kind of the way that he makes Mike sound. Um, not totally uninflected, but like fake, generic human inflection without real feeling, right? Um, I know Mike came first. I know Mike came first. But I, I think that the audiobook reader was influenced by 2001, is what I'm saying. Um, but, um, but anyway, I, I, I like the effect of it because it is pretty clear. And I think we can see from this conversation um, Mike's own, his tentativeness, right? I can't imagine that his, um, his voiced words, right, um, are very expressive. Um, I don't know that they are necessarily like a kind of, you know, 8-bit computer monotone either, right? I mean, I would not, if I were reading the audiobook, I would not read, you know, it was 10 to the 16th power plus 185.15 lunar authority dollars, not what you said. Like, that's not how I would read Mike's voice there. Um, I think it's more expressive than that already. But it's still, he's, I don't think that he's, um, um, speaking, you know, uh, very expressively yet. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Martha, Arthur, I see you're pointing to the adverb. He answered virtuously. I don't think that means in a virtuous tone of voice. I think he answered virtuously, that strikes me as Manny's rather sardonic comment on Mike's clarification. Um, he is virtuously saying exactly the truth. Um, and uh, uh, Jocelyn was right to point out a little while before that in the, on the, in the very first page, Manny says that uh, Mike isn't honest. Um, so it's not a, it isn't an absolute guarantee that he's going to say exactly the truth. Um, Yes, Mudmore, yes, not like a Dalek is exactly it. Yes, he would not have a Dalek voice. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. It's near the end of their conversation, though. Oh, wait, hang on. One last brief, I promise it's brief, observation. But still notice the notice the relationship here. Manny is in... I won't say a parental posture towards Mike, but at least like a an older sibling. Like, doesn't this kind of sound like, you know, I don't know, like a 17-year-old brother talking to, you know, like a nine-year-old brother or something, right? Um, you know, who just did something that got him into a lot of trouble and, you know, the it, doesn't it kind of have that tone? But there's definitely this tone of, uh, right, or like an uncle, Carrie, yes, exactly. Something something like that. It, I think avuncular is probably better because, anyway, it's fun to say the word avuncular, um, is a better characterization of the Roy, certainly than, than parental or paternal, right? Um, 
but because he doesn't he doesn't attempt to exert authority over Mike at all. But he does, without question, assume that he knows and Mike doesn't. Right. That like Mike needs informing of these things. Um, And I mean, he respects Mike and all that Mike knows, but he uh, all the information that Mike has, I should say. But um, uh, but he is very quick to tell, you know, to just kind of cut across Mike and say, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. That's wrong. Um, Yeah. Um, And that's interesting. Ellen says the interaction reminds me of a kid who's developed his own kind of humor that doesn't come from the culture of his peers. And he's trying it out to see if it translates. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And Ellen, I think that that's a really important um, that that's a really important point um, is that Mike is clearly and explicitly from the beginning trying to be like people, right? He wants to be, it's not like a Pinocchio sort of situation. He's not trying to become a real boy necessarily, um, but he's, um, he's, he definitely is interested in learning um, on how to be more human. He absolutely trusts Manny's opinion as to what is funny and what is not funny. Right. Um, is the, and if Manny tells him he accepts it, right. It's, it's, you know, there's no question that he is the learner and that Manny is the teacher. Mike accepts that. Absolutely. It seems. Um, and Manny accepts that too. Um, yeah, Raymond, I, I, I think, um, the, uh, The comparisons with data on Star Trek are fairly uh, interesting and compelling, I think, in some ways. It would be an interesting uh, comparison, obviously, um, with Star Trek following uh, in the footsteps here. But uh, it's interesting to see they kind of take that element of Mike's story. That element gets kind of submerged in the story, right? It's it's interesting how that, how that becomes... Um, how that gets sidelined over the course of the story. Um, But um, anyway, okay. Near the end of their first conversation, um, Manny says, good. Mike, who else do you chat with? He sounded surprised. No one, man. Notice he can inflect to some extent, right? He does sound surprised. He's able to convey that. No one, man. Why not? Because they're stupid. His voice was shrill. Had never seen him angry before. First time I ever suspected Mike could have real emotions. Thought it wasn't anger in adult sense. It was like stubborn sulkiness of a child whose feelings are hurt. Can machines feel pride? Not sure a question means anything. But you've seen dogs with hurt feelings, and Mike had several times as complex a neural network as a dog. What had made him unwilling to talk to other humans, except strictly business, was that he had been rebuffed, They had not talked to him. Programs, yes. Mike could be programmed from several locations, but programs were typed in, usually, in Loglan. Loglan is fine for syllogism, circuitry, and mathematical calculations, but lacks flavor. Useless for gossip or to whisper into girls' ear. Sure, Mike had been taught English, but primarily to permit him to translate to and from English. I slowly got through Skull that I was only human who bothered to visit with him. I love how Manny never even imagines this. Um, who else do you chat with? He's assuming there's going to be a list of people, right? Um, there's 
there's a charm. This is, there are several things that I really like about this um, that, or rather I should say there are several things about this that lead me to really like Manny as a character. Um, One is that Manny has fairly consistently throughout the story, a kind of um, humility, like a a kind of unawareness of, I mean, he's clearly a fairly exceptional guy, right? Um, In what he knows and what he's in, what his abilities are in his character. You know, we talked about his, um, what seems to be pretty remarkable that he didn't just, he didn't become the only loony computer man uh, on Luna in Luna, excuse me. Um, because he was like a child prodigy or something like that, right? Um, he became the first computer man uh, in Luna because after he had this tragic accident and had when was dismembered at work, um, so like it was his like rebound career basically, him reinventing himself after that tragedy. So we can see lots of really um, you know interesting and compelling and admirable things about his character, um, but he seems completely unaware of them, right? He doesn't, he seems really not to think about them very much. Um, he is a, he is a nice kind of humble, the kind of humble who doesn't just like say that he is no good, right? The kind of person who, um, cause there are lots of, you know, there are people who will say all the time about how they don't have any good qualities, right? And that's like, but yet you're still, you know, like you're still talking about yourself a lot, right? I mean, that's, um, Manny's not that kind of humble, right? He is, um, he seems to really not um, really even be aware of uh, that. He is a pretty extraordinary person. Um, and um, so that's one thing that I kind of like about that. It just never occurs to him that he alone has like come to this realization. Um, but, um, uh, but at the same time, just sort of his attitude towards, you know, Mike, like what makes him the only uh, the only one, um, I think is really, I think is really nice. Um, and yet Devorah, I like that too. Yet we don't know Manny's name yet, right? We, you know, at this point, this is the first scene, uh, of the book. Uh, and we, we don't know that his name is Manuel. Um, uh, so when, uh, when Mike is saying, is calling him man, um, it does just sound like a common noun, like, you know, like he's just referring to him as human, um, which, again, is why one of the things that makes it so striking when Manny slowly gets it through his skull, that he's the only human who bothered to visit with him. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, maybe that's why he calls you man. Right. Because you are uh, you are the man. Um and uh, that that is uh, that is fun. Yeah. But both Stephen and Bruce were talking about how um, they uh, they didn't even realize that it was his name uh, for a while. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Arthur says five years later, if this book had been written five years later, Mike would have just called him a uh, dude. Yeah, exactly. Um, Stephen, I think yes. Okay, Stephen uh, Keen asks a great question. Um, uh, should we suppose that Mike had answered other questions with something extra? Right, that's what Manny first noticed um, was that he asked Mike something, and Mike gave him that and something extra um, that wasn't related to the process he was supposed to be running. That's how Manny first became aware that he was awake and aware. Um, so Stephen uh, was saying. Should we suppose that Mike had done that with other? 
people, but that the other programs just didn't notice. Um, um, yes, I think, so. and I think for exactly the reason that you go on to suggest, Stephen, that that's what Manny is being characterizing as his being rebuffed, um, that he did try to reach out to other people, but that they didn't acknowledge him. They didn't notice, right? They just, they, it didn't register with them. Um, because it was not part of their paradigm. They didn't, they, you know, they, they, they seem never to have been able to imagine it at all. And so Carrie, that's exactly why he concludes, uh, Mike concludes that they're stupid. Right. Um, and it's interesting that Manny's emphasis is on the petulance, right? The sulkiness, uh, the emotion in his response. Um, which is, of course, very important. Um, but, of course, Carrie, we can also see the logic of his conclusion, right? They are stupid. Um, they are blind. Like, they, they can't see what's right in front. They don't have the flexibility of mind to see um, that the computer is saying and doing things on its own initiative, that it really is awake. Um, and so, you know, he's not wrong. In that sense, you know, like with the, with the, with his the way that he's using the word stupid, he's not wrong. But notice here again, Manny says, first time I ever suspected Mike could have real emotions." Now remember um, that he's remember he's talking like Mike's been laughing, right? Mike makes a joke and his 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 lights ripple and flash and stuff, which is his version of chuckles and laughter and stuff. So Manny has been interacting with him as if he could feel things, right? And yet he never actually believed it, never believed that he could feel, could have real emotions, but believe that he was self-aware, right? Believe that he was, um, that he had free will in some sense. But, um, uh, but he, um, he didn't really understand. He didn't even Manny didn't really process at first that he actually could have emotions, something like emotions, um, something like human emotions. And, and, and he immediately makes the parallel to a child. Right. Because, again, this that's primarily his image for Mike right now. Um, and Ellen, yeah, I like the fact that his his calling him man is a multifaceted foreshadowing of the fact that Mike likes puns. Absolutely. Um, it's an almost joke, right? And I think it's a joke that's funny every time um, when he calls him man. Um, I love it when he calls him man in this way. It's like even when he, you know, later on in the book, we see Mike at this whole like social epicenter. He's the, the, the epicenter of the of everything, right? Of all of the entire social network. And yet he still calls Manny man. Um, and it's still like, Manuel still is humanity to him, right? He is the the, the kind of embodiment of humanity, um, and I, I I think that that's uh, as I said, that that never gets old for me for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I tried to explain. How Mike knew almost... So this is him explaining to Wyo now. Now we're jumping up to chapter four. Um, I want to continue thinking about Mike's status. Um, but look at what happens now when Manny tries to explain it to another human. Uh, this is with Wyo. I tried to explain. 
how Mike knew almost every book in Luna, could read at least a thousand times as fast as we could, and never forget anything unless he chose to erase, how he could reason with perfect logic or make shrewd guesses from insufficient data, and yet not know anything about how to be alive. She interrupted. I scan it. You're saying he's smart and knows a lot, but is not sophisticated. Like a new chum when he grounds on the rock. Back Earthside, he might be a professor with a string of degrees, but here he's a baby. That's it. Mike is a baby with a long string of degrees. Ask how much water and what chemicals and how much photoflux it takes to crop 50,000 tons of wheat, and he'll tell you without stopping for breath, but can't tell if a joke is funny. Now, this is this new parallel that we're given here, this kind of new framework, I find really important and interesting. Um, that is, like a new chum when he grounds on the rock. Um, Mike is like an earthworm who has come to Luna and doesn't know the culture, doesn't know, and not, doesn't, it's not, because it's not just a culture thing. Going to Luna is not just like going to a foreign country where you don't know the language and you don't know the culture and you might make, you know, horrible social mistakes because you don't know anything that's expected of you, right? It's way more than that. Um, because, like, you're likely to die on Luna because you have no idea what to do or how to... Not just because you might do something that ends in your own death, um, or you might end up causing your own death. Um, you know, like screwing up your pea suit or, uh, you know, I don't know, opening an airlock or something like that. Or, I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, um, you can die on Luna pretty easily. But, of course, as we talked about last time... You can also die by causing yourself to be lynched, right? If you act, uh, if you act in a in some particular countercultural ways, uh, the nearby people might just grab you and throw you at an airlock to your own death. Um, so, again, it's 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 a more severe circumstance than just um, you know being a little clueless about the local culture. That's what he's being compared to, like a nuchum when he grounds on the rock. Um, and, um, I, I think that this is a fascinating parallel in part because of course, notice how we are like Mike in this way as well, right? We, um, we don't know in, in some ways we can't even tell if a joke is funny, right? In a lunar context, we're, we, there's so much we don't understand, right? Um, we also are a baby on Luna and trying to understand and trying to... So it's the, the, This technique... And now, this is not an uncommon technique in imaginative literature, right? You know, in a science fiction world or a fantasy world, to have a newbie, right? Somebody who has just arrived in that world and who doesn't know anything about it and has to have things explained to them and learn things by trial and error, right? That's a kind of a classic way to introduce the reader to the new world that they don't understand either, right? Um, you know, so you get... Um, you know, even works like, uh, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia and The Hobbit operate this way, right? You know, with the whole, you know, children from uh, our world finding themselves in a magical world in Narnia. Um, and a similar way, it's not exactly the same, but even, of course, the way that Bilbo finds himself outside his own comfort zone. His comfort zone is a lot like our comfort. It's not exactly the same, right? And the differences are explained. Um, 
But uh, but Bilbo, you know, being off on the road with dwarves the first time is enough out of his element that we get to accompany him. He's the clueless tomb, right? Um, uh, in uh, uh, in that book, for for most of that book, or like Harry Potter, Bruce, exactly. You've got Harry Potter raised among Muggles, and he doesn't know anything about the Wizarding World, and so we learn along with him. Again, it's a it's a classic technique and a very effective technique for helping to introduce people to a new world. Not every author does that, right? There are lots of authors who do it in other ways. I'm thinking, for instance, of uh, uh, you know a book we discussed within the last few years, a couple years back. Um, uh, the A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin. She doesn't do that, right? Um, and it's one of the things that makes that book kind of challenging. I always find it challenging in some ways. At least, you know, first reading it, I found it challenging. Um, because you get immersed in this world, which is like ours, but quite different from ours as well. Um, and yet we don't we don't have a guide, right? We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't get a proxy in that book. Um, so as I say... Um, it's um, it's not it's pretty common it's a pretty common technique uh, to have somebody who is kind of our proxy in cluelessness right? who needs to get clued in and then we get clued in along with them the choice of having that be Mike right? putting the reader in this sense in parallel with Mike is a really interesting choice right? Um, because of course one of the questions, and I go back to Arthur, your comments before, which are so important for us to remember what was it, 66 that this book was written, Arthur? I mean, 1966 right? So um, I mean, we're still you know, computers are, are still <laughs> relatively new, right? Forget sentient computers. Um, so the idea um, the idea that we um are being asked to embrace this idea of a computer that is sentient, that can think and even have emotions, right? That's a it's a very alien idea. That's very, very strange. Because I mean it's just like if we just try to think back, for some of us it's thinking back, for others it's uh, you know, imagining and you know, based on what you've heard, um uh the state of computing right in 1966 um it's a it's still a leap in many ways i think for us to think about a truly sentient computer um we've become familiar with it right we've had enough uh uh opportunity we've been given enough opportunities to imagine it from uh you know from Heinlein forward um so that we have uh, we're, we're much more able uh, you know, for like data in Star Trek and all kinds of things, right? We have all kinds of reason, all kinds of exemplars now to prepare us for that idea. And yet I still bet you would be surprised if your computer started talking to you and giving you um, what Manny calls something extra, right? When you're telling it to do stuff. You know, if, if Siri started haying you back, um, it, you know, it would be weird, right? Um, so um, anyway... Point is, Heinlein seems to be doing double duty in a sense here, right? On the one hand, he is um, using Mike as a parallel for like a bunch of things are going to need to be explained to Mike, which will help us, right? Um, in that sort of traditional way. And so he uses Mike's. Cluelessness as a way to help us get into the world, 
But at the same time, by establishing that parallel, by establishing that sort of connection between us and Mike, he also makes it easier for us to accept Mike because we're we're shoulder to shoulder with Mike, as it were. He doesn't have shoulders, right? But um, but we're we're like that, and we're um, you know also notice things like how we are um, our I think anyway my own relationship you know perception of Manny is strongly influenced by Mike, right? Mike's complete faith in Manny. Um, if, uh, if, if Manny turned out to be a horrible person, right? And, um, like he was just, uh, you know, like he actually in truth despises Mike. He's just playing along, right? If that turned out to be true, um, I would have found it like shocking and appalling, right? Um, because I am ready to trust Manny, um, because of the way that he treats Mike, right? So anyway, this is I think there's a lot um, that he really that he really does there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Then Wyo meets Mike, right? Um, and uh, again, we see. Mike's social cluelessness. Um, I was particularly interested in the gynecological pictures, right? Like he calls up pictures. He's like, I know just what you look like. Like I've, I've looked at your gynecological images and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like don't show those to Manny. Um, um, but again, notice the earnestness with which he is trying to understand. Right. Um, and, um, um, Oh, and I loved the reference to like his assessment that some of these pictures are sufficiently pulchritudinous, you know, to, uh, <laughs> but anyway, like it's, um, it's kind of charming. It's charming to see him adapting and learning and wanting to learn and adapt. Right. Um, Manny goes to sleep, uh, and leaves the two of them, Wyo and Mike, uh, to talk on the phone. Uh, and by the time he wakes up, uh, Manny is speaking in a f- woman's voice with a French accent. Um, and uh, Manny is completely confused, right? Um, and uh, Wyo says, oh, like, you know, it came really naturally to him, right, to sound like a woman as soon as he tried. And Manny dismisses it at first. He's like, yeah, he just changed his, you know, he just changed the frequency of his voice. Like, it's not hard for him to make his voice sound different, right? I mean, after all, his voice is artificial anyway, so, you know, um, it's not a big deal. But then Wyo clarifies, it's not just pitch. When she's Michelle, it's an entire change in manner and attitude. Don't worry about splitting her personality. She has plenty for any personality she needs. Besides, Manny, it's much easier for both of us. Once she shifted, we took our hair down and cuddled up and talked girl talk as if we had known each other forever. For example, those silly pictures no longer embarrassed me. In fact, we discussed my pregnancies quite a lot. Michelle was terribly interested. She knows all about OB and GY and so forth, but just theory. And she appreciated the raw facts. Well, suppose it's okay. Going to be a shock to me the first time I call Mike and a woman answers. Oh, but she won't. Huh? Michelle is my friend. When you call, you'll get Mike. She gave me she gave me a number to keep it straight. Michelle spelled with a Y. 
M-Y-C-H-E-L-L-E and Y-Y to make it come out 10. Okay, so uh, uh, Mike at this point clearly has his official second friend, right? He's accepted Y-O uh, and Y-O has, accept has accepted her. Um, and notice the shift that Y-O makes. Earlier on, right, she was talking... One of, the, one of the questions that she asks Manny early on about Mike is, how do you know he's masculine, right? Um, maybe, maybe Mike's a woman. Um, and Manny's a little bit kind of, I don't know, confused, nonplussed. Like, this is not a question he ever asked, clearly. He assumed. Um, uh, and Mike seems to have spoken in a masculine voice to him, probably because he was reflecting Mike's own, or Manny's own voice. Um, but, of course, Wyo herself was um, uncertain, resistant, slightly at least, uh, to the concept of Mike and of Mike being alive, of Mike being, uh, of Mike really having free will, of Mike really having any personality. Um, but once she talks to her, it's, it's no longer a question. The shift from her saying, um, and after, after they go through the jokes together and she, um, uh, she, Wyo, that is, is commenting on the jokes and they're having, their, they're going through the jokes with Mike. Um, remember how she, she writes down on the paper, um, because of the jokes that, that, uh, that Mike thinks are funny, that, Wyo also thinks her funny, and Manny does not think her funny. Wyo concludes she's definitely a woman, right? She's definitely she. But she doesn't say that anymore now, right? Um, she doesn't any longer think that Mike is, that Mike's true nature is female. Now she says she has plenty for any personality she needs, right? She does, in fact, understand Mike better that there is a way in which Mike's persona is an affectation. It's, it's just like the voice. It's not, a, it's not a real voice, whatever that means, right? Like, though one could say vocal sounds shaped in a particular way by, you know, meaty vocal cords aren't necessarily... I mean, is that any more, less artificial than, you know... Uh, sounds uh, replicated, you know, by a digital apparatus um, and shaped in a particular way? Like, what's the difference? Like, what makes one voice a real voice and another not a real voice? But, but in any case, Mike is clearly, to some extent, faking being human. He's, he's, he may be really alive. He may really have free will, but he's not a human. He's a computer. He doesn't think the same. He doesn't work the same. But he wants to understand what it means to be human. He wants to be accept. But I don't think he wants to be confused for a human. Again, he doesn't want to. It's not like Pinocchio. He doesn't want to become a real boy, right? Um, and Wyo is the one who seems to get that first. She seems now to understand Mike and Mike's desires and Mike's nature even better than Manny, right? Um, Manny says you're going to give him a split personality doing this, right? And she says, don't worry about splitting her personality. She has plenty for any personality she needs. She can construct as many personalities as she wants or needs to have. And of course, she's quite right. As we see, that will be borne out, right? Mike is, in fact, perfectly capable of 
forming multiple um, personas and keeping them straight and deploying them in various ways. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Tomas, uh, yeah, Tomas says, is there any sense in assigning a gender to a computer? No, but again, she seems to have gotten past that. That's what I think is interesting in, in, in seeing sort of Wyo's own growth and her relationship with it, right? Her first default, Tomas, was try to figure out, like, you know, what gender is she really, right? The, the computer. But she doesn't seem to be asking that question anymore. She does refer to her as she throughout, uh, throughout this paragraph, but she doesn't any longer um, uh, sort of try to pin it, think that she's gotten at, like, what Mike really is. She seems, on the one hand, to be more deeply aware of the fact that Mike's persona is artificially constructed, and yet she's comfortable with it. Um, and, in fact, has really bonded with um, this newly... She helped to form and construct this new personality, this new Michelle personality. And yet, she loved it. She's fine with it. Um, yes, exactly, Curtis. Uh, I think um, uh, Mike is non-binary in a special sense, <laughs> right? But by also binary, right? Uh, binary, non-binary, I, I suppose, is, 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 is technically more accurate. Um, uh, hard to be more binary than Mike on the one hand, right? Um, but anyway, okay. So, again, I love the kind of complexity of this. We're never really allowed to... And again, by the complexity that I'm talking about is the, the way in which Heinlein resists the Pinocchio thing. Um, it would be really easy... Either to do that literally, that is, have Mike himself, like, really, really wanting to be a human, right? Think of me as a human. Consider me a human. I want to. Be, I would become a human if I could. Um, Mike doesn't do that, right? But not only that, it would be even easier, much easier, for Heinlein to bring about the situation where we are invited to forget that Mike is a computer. Um, and there are ways in which that's true, but at the same time, he never really goes there. And I think that Wyo's reaction here is a re establishes a really clear pattern. Um, again, not just for the characters in the story, but for us as readers. On the one hand, we become more, I think, not less aware of the fact that Mike is a computer. We never forget that completely. And yet... And I say completely. I don't even think we forget it at all. I think I get in, there are ways in which we become more and more keenly aware of it. And yet, at the same time, while that is happening, simultaneously, um, we come to like and appreciate his personality even more, even when, even if and when we know that he's faking that, right? That it's, a, that it's just a construction. When he constructs, he's going to construct the character of Adam Selene later on, right? Um, and the carefully synthetic nature of Adam Selene is going to serve to remind us of Mike, right? Um, you know, that and that all, like the Mike persona as well, is just as constructed. Perhaps not as carefully and not with the same degree and kind of, forth of forethought, but still. Um, okay. 
on to the revolution. Um, then we'll come back to Mike. This is when Manny shows up in chapter two to the to the resistance meeting and his first meeting with Wyo. She said sharply, you think for the authority? Even today, with almost as many women in Luna as men, I'm too much old timer to be rude to a woman no matter what. They have so much of what we have none of. But she had flicked scar tissue and I answered almost sharply, I am not employee of Wharton. I do business with authority as private contractor. That's okay, she answered, her voice warm again. Everybody does business with the authority. We can't avoid it. And that's the trouble. That's what we're going to change. We are, eh? How, I thought. Everybody does business with authority for same reason everybody does business with law of gravitation. Going to change that, too? But kept thoughts to myself, not wishing to argue with a lady. Um, I think this is perhaps the first time Manny alludes explicitly to the f- the rationale behind the way that women are treated in this society, in lunar society, right? Um, even today with almost as many women in Luna as men, right? Women are rare back in these days. The men vastly outnumber the women um, in the time, you know, in, uh, what is it, 2075, uh, when this is happening. Um, and so that it that that informs so this code, um, don't be rude to a woman no matter what, um, uh, and how his his near apology not quite apology um, for even speaking almost sharply to her, um, and his desire not to argue with her he doesn't disagree with her um, even though he does disagree, um, and yes Jocelyn you're right Wyo uses definite articles. Absolutely. Um, We see in Wyo's language similarities to his. Like, the two of them clearly communicate. They clearly, like, speak the same. I mean, she's not a complete outsider, but she does not speak like he does. Um, And later, we'll learn at least one reason why. She wasn't born on the moon. Um, she came to the moon as a child, um, so she's been on the moon for a long time, um, but she wasn't born there. Um, Manny is loony for several generations, right? And uh, Prof, Professor de la Paz, is um, even more extreme, right? He came as an older adult uh, to Luna. And so um, his there's very little of his speech. He... he, he he, again, fits in, right? But sounds very different. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, uh, and, and also she's she's from Hong Kong. Galahad, you're right. Um, so it is a very different community as well. Um, so it is also very possible that over in Hong Kong, they just they speak differently uh, from the way that 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 Manny does uh, in his Warren. Um but of course, here we learn a couple things. One, we learn that um, Wyo is perhaps not suspicious enough, right? Uh, she says sharply, as if trying to catch him out, right? You think for the authority, um, and uh, which I I take I think she's using the word "think" as a verb there. I think 
I mean, she might mean, are you a Fink for the authority? Or she, but I think she means, do you think for the authority? Um, I think she's using it as a verb. Um, but um, anyway, uh, she's just like trying to catch him out with that. And then he says, uh, I'm not an employee. You know, he, get, he gets a little upset and says that he's not an employee of the warden. And then she's like, that's okay. It's all, it's all good. That's it. So he passed the test, I guess. It's a fairly simple test. Um, and of course, as we will see, she is, in fact, a little bit naive um, in her acceptance of, of folks. But notice, we notice, of course, his response. We see where Manny is at the beginning here. Um, he does not oppose it at all. He is offended, right? It's flicking scar tissue to accuse him of thinking for the authority, right? He is appalled by the idea um, uh, and speaks out against the warden um, as soon as he can, but he does not believe, you know, to overthrow the authority would be like overthrowing the law of gravitation, right? Um, he sees it as completely inevitable. It is just a part of his world that he can't see resisting. He can see no odds in resisting it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Stephen is saying it does seem a pretty safe assumption that there wouldn't be anybody there to spy or anything. I mean, why would they be there if they weren't honestly part of the resistance? Clearly. So, this is from Wyo's speech. We get in this first meeting two different proposals, right? What I've called Plan A here, this is Wyo's, um, this is Wyoming's um, perspective. She got silence more respectful than whistles. At last, a peevish voice said, What do you expect us to do, Goshpaja? Goshpaja? I'm not going to do well in pronouncing the Russian words. Throw rocks at Warden? Wyo smiled. Yes, we could throw rocks, but the solution is so simple that you all know it. Here in Luna, we're rich. Three million hardworking, smart, skilled people, enough water, plenty of everything, endless power, endless cubic. But what we don't have is a free market. We must get rid of the authority. Yes, but how? Solidarity. In HKL, right in Hong Kong Luna, we're learning. Authority charges too much for water, don't buy. It pays too little for ice, don't sell. It holds monopoly on export, don't export. Down in Bombay, they want wheat. If it doesn't arrive, the day will come when brokers come here to bid for it, at triple or more the present prices. This is uh, Wyoming's charming plan, right? Um, which is solidarity, right? That is the answer. If we don't participate, if we don't agree to sell for the authority prices, they will have to come to us, right? We are rich here. We have plenty. Um, we have plenty of everything. Um, okay. Yes. Arthur says she sounds like an idealistic college student protester. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, her belief in solidarity is particularly, uh, particularly charming. Um, and Steve and I agree, the but how, right, does, you know, query does suggest that um, a bunch of people, right, are uh, seeing the sort of potentially unrealistic perspective here. Now look at Manny's 
response, right? Um, he says, she asks how she did, and he says, wonderful, right? But I hadn't been honest. Wonderful she had been at swaying crowd, but oratory is a null program. That we were slaves I had known all my life, and nothing could be done about it. True, we weren't bought and sold, but as long as authority held monopoly over what we had to have and what we could sell to buy it, we were slaves. But what could we do? Warden wasn't our owner. Had he been, some way could be found to eliminate him. But lunar authority was not in Luna. It was on Terra. And we had not one ship, not even small hydrogen bomb. There weren't even handguns in Luna, though what we could do with guns I did not know. Shoot each other, maybe. Three million unarmed and helpless, and eleven billion of them, with ships and bombs and weapons. We could be a nuisance, but how long will Papa take it before Baby gets spanked? I wasn't impressed. As it says in Bible, God fights on side of heaviest artillery. Um, <laughs> which is a fun quotation. Um, I don't know what version of the Bible he's reading. Um, I'm not familiar with that one. Um, but yeah, Curtis, it's also a translation I haven't read either. Um, uh, but first of all, speaking of translation, notice that he says God and not bog here. Um, uh, though several people informed me afterwards that in this I did not know. There's much that I am learning from the eclectic gathering together of language and culture that we see in Luna. Um, that bog apparently is a Slavic term. That is a Slavic term for God, right? Um, so that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and um, uh, anyway, so um, it's interesting to me. Therefore, it seems to be like so much of what we see there in Luna, one tradition, right, that's been brought in, um, or like, you know, one of the many traditions that have been kind of brought together. Um, and I talked about the difference between when they say Bog and when they say God, and it always seems to be. Um, there are, I think, more than one occasion, I don't remember exactly, I'd have to do a text search, but um, when, when the word God is used. Um, but I believe that all the time that they say Bog, it's more private, like when, you know, when uh, in exclamations, you know, bog, no, um, uh, or even like I pray to bog, right? Um, you know, uh, bog spare me from this or that. Like it's in their personal expressions that they use bog. Um, and, um, uh, and God is only used in, these, in this other kind of quoted context, which I think, I mean... It is a joke. Devorah, again, I, I, I mean, I, that last sentence is clearly a joke. Um, again, my, I find myself asking the same question that I was asking last week. Is Manny making a joke on purpose, right? Um, or is he, conf I mean, is, does Manny think that's actually in the Bible? Is this a reflection of how the fact that he's never read, you know, the real Bible before, um, that he thinks that it actually says that in the Bible, which is possible. Um, or, or is Manny making a joke? But notice again, how the very fact that we, at least I keep finding myself asking these questions, notice the parallel between us and Mike, or we're just like Mike, right? Not funny, right? Is that funny, Mike? Was that a joke, man? Right. Uh, is something that Mike actually does ask uh, uh, Manny several times. And I feel like wanting to uh, um, wanting to to ask exactly that question myself uh, many other times. Um, exactly. Yeah. Arthur, um, like the Orange Catholic Bible in Dune. 
Yes. Um, uh, it could be. Like, there could be, a, like, an orange Catholic Bible. Like, a, you know, a different Bible, which is clearly not the same Bible. Though also, you know, when you read Dune, clearly not wholly, entirely unlike the Bible that we know, but not exactly the same either, right? Um, so that was, I was thinking of the orange Catholic Bible immediately, too. I'm like, hmm, which Bible is he talking about? But, but Or maybe it's just a joke. Maybe he knows that's a joke, and, and I am too clueless to, 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 to get it. Um yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, Arthur. He could just be being a wise guy, but I'm too much of a chum to know, to, to, to see it, right? To know that he's making a joke. Exactly. Um, then we get plan B. So we see his, M Manny's resistance, right? His resistance based not in disagreement, right? But based purely on the fact that he sees the authority as being like gravity, right? They have no power to get rid of the authority. How could they even think of rebelling? Because what he sees, which clearly Wyo is not seeing, is that they don't have to rebel against the warden. They have to rebel against Terra, right? It's all of Terra that is keeping them down. That's where the authority is based, not in the warden. Here's Prof, the other version. You are right that the authority must go. It is ridiculous, pestilential, not to be born, that we should be ruled by an irresponsible dictator in all our essential economy. It strikes at the most basic human right, the right to bargain in a free marketplace. But I respectfully suggest that you erred in saying that we should sell wheat to Terra, or rice, or any food, at any price. We must not export food. That wheat farmer broke in. What am I going to do with all that wheat? Please, it would be right to ship wheat to Terra if ton for ton they returned it as water, as nitrates, as phosphates, ton for ton. Otherwise, no price is high enough. Fred Hauser told us that ice is harder to find. Too true. Bad news now and disastrous for our grandchildren. Luna City should use the same water today we used 20 years ago plus enough ice mining for population increase. But we use water once, one full cycle, three different ways. Then we ship it to India as wheat. Even though wheat is vacuum processed, it contains precious water. Why ship water to India? They have the whole Indian Ocean. And the remaining mass of that grain is even more disastrously expensive. Plant foods still harder to come by, even though we extract them from rock. Comrades, hearken to me. Every load you ship to Terra condemns your grandchildren to slow death. The miracle of photosynthesis, the plant and animal cycle, is a closed cycle. You have opened it, and your lifeblood runs downhill to Terra. You don't need higher prices. One cannot eat money. What you need, what we all need, is an end to this loss. Embargo, utter and absolute. Luna must be self-sufficient. Yeah, Galahad, I agree. Um, hearing somebody say in one and the same speech uh, to be calling people comrades and, and also saying that the right to bargain in a free marketplace is the most basic human right causes a little bit of cognitive dissonance, doesn't it? Yeah, just a, just a touch, just a touch. I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah. Um, 
Now, Tomas asks, is it assumed that Terra is politically unified by that time, or different countries have a partial hold of different portions of Luna? Now, we'll, we'll get more answers to this later on, but I think it's a really interesting question, Tomas, because you're right that at this point in the story, it sounds that way, right? Manny, for sure, right? Manny, the native Looney, is 100% thinks of Terra as them, right? Um... And he seems to be in no question about the fact that if they, in Luna, rebelled against the authority, Terra, as a group, right, as a united front, would oppose them. So are there political differences? I think it's pretty clear that there are. Even from what we've seen already, we can see evidence that that's so. Um, But uh, it's not... It doesn't matter, in a sense. Right. And Manny's not very interested and certainly doesn't think it uh, is much um, um, is, is is very relevant uh, to this. Um, yeah. OK, so. Um, plan B embargo, complete, utter and absolute embargo. Luna must be self-sufficient. Um, now, notice that. There is also a lot of how missing from this as well. Right. On the one hand, he doesn't sound quite as naive. Wyo sounds more naive than he does. Right. Um, you cannot one cannot eat money, he says. Right. He is pointing to a bigger problem that the other revolutionaries are not thinking about. They're wanting a better market for their wheat, as makes sense. And he defends that idea, right? The right to bargain in a free marketplace. But there's a bigger problem that you're not considering. And notice that he is here explicitly contradicting one of the things that Wyo said. Here in Terra, we're rich. We've got plenty of, you know, plenty of water, plenty of air, plenty, we've got plenty of everything that we need. Um, And Prof jumps in to say, that is not true. We may do right now, but we will not if this continues. Um, you have taken the closed cycle and opened it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So what does all this mean? Where do we go? Um, in chapter three, um, this is after they've gone to the hotel. This is in the context of Manny telling her about his family um, and about his marriage. And he explains how it turns out that the Davis family is, in fact, self-sufficient or almost self-sufficient, right? And she keeps probing at this. They raise their own food. They, they use their own water. They do, you know, they, um, they're almost completely self-sufficient. Except what about power, right? Where do you get your power from? And he confesses that water and power, they steal, right? They tapped into, I love, he says like, once when we were drilling, we accidentally drilled a hole in the bottom of the main cistern, right? But we happened to have a tap with us. (laughs) So it was, so it all went very smoothly, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, So they're stealing water and they're stealing power uh, from the power grid. Um, Wyoming loves it. Oh, wonderful. Wyoming paid me a long whistle and looked delighted paid me a long whistle. So whistling at people is how you express 
respect and appreciation, right? We've seen that already, um, and we see it now uh, from Wyoming to him. So this is the first time not in the context of, um, uh, for, you know, a, uh, a man looking at a beautiful woman and whistling at her in, uh, in, in respect. Everybody should do that. Hope not would show. Let him think up own ways to outwit authority. Our family always has. But back to your plan, Wyo. Two things wrong. Never get solidarity. Blokes like Hauser would cave in because they are in a trap. Can't hold out. Second place. Suppose you managed it. Solidarity. So solid not a ton of grain is delivered to Catapult Head. Forget ice. It's grain that makes authority important and not just neutral agency it was set up to be. No grain. What happens? Why, they have to negotiate a fair price, that's what. My dear, you and your comrades listen to each other too much. Authority would call it rebellion, and warship would orbit with bombs earmarked for Ella City and Hong Kong and Tycho Under and Churchill and Novilen. Troops would land, grain barges would lift under guard, and farmers would break necks to cooperate. Terra has guns and power and bombs and ships and won't hold still for trouble from ex-cons. And troublemakers like you and me, with you in spirit, us lousy troublemakers will be rounded up and eliminated, teach us a lesson. And earthworms would say we had it coming, because our side would never be heard, not on Terra. So this is Manny's harsh reality um, of uh, what would really happen, right? She's not thinking in terms of a rebellion. She thinks they can just force them to negotiate, right? Force them to um, to pay a fair price at the catapult head, right? Um, through solidarity, if they all band together. You know, collective bargaining is the answer, you know, to this problem. And he is saying, you are out of touch with what the reality really is. What it's, you know, our relationship with them. It doesn't work like that. We're not in an equal negotiating position. And at the end of the day, Terra has guns and power and bombs and ships and won't hold still for trouble from us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Stephen says, interesting to see that the problem of talking in echo chambers was noticed even in pre-internet fiction. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a much more pronounced problem today, I think. But yes, it was always true. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Manny's is the voice of realism, but it's not just about realism versus idealism. That I think is, it would be a crude, I mean, that's happening here. Um, but I think that would be a crude characterization of it. Um, Manny is thinking in military terms, right? Manny is, uh, prepared for the fact that they are going to use force. And I think that in part, um, what it, a, a likely explanation of this, um, he even points out later that Hong Kong Luna is much more independent um, because they're further away from the warden. He lives much nearer to the warden, right? Um, they are more directly under the thumb of the authority, here where Manny lives. Um, and so he is much more in touch with the tenor of the relationship uh, between the people of Luna and 
uh, and the authority. Um, when he gets in touch with Prof, um, Prof is asking about Wyo, right? Um, and Manny probes him about this. You don't, this is Prof speaking first. You don't know where to find her. You were seen to leave with her, and I had so hoped that you would know. Prof, why this interest? Last night you didn't seem to be on her side. No, no, Manuel. She is my comrade. I don't say tovarish, for I mean it not just as politeness, but in the older sense, binding. She is my comrade. We differ only in tactics, not in objectives, not in loyalties. I see. Well, consider message delivered. She'll get it. Oh, wonderful. I ask no questions, but I do hope, oh so very strongly, that you can find a way for her to be safe, really safe, until this blows over. Um, so, I, I'm interested in the fact that Manny doesn't parse this right away, right? Um, Manny saw Prof come up and speak against her, politely indeed, right? As Prof always does everything, um, but speak against her, right? Oppose her at that meeting. Um, she never gets it. She wants a chance to rebut and never gets it in the meeting, right? Because they get broken up. But um, um, he trusts Prof, right? Manny trusts Prof. He doesn't think that Prof is a fink for the authority or something like that. Um, so I don't think when he says, Prof, why this interest? He's being suspicious in that way. Like, are you, are you, are you going to fink her out to the authority? Is that why you're asking? I don't think that's in Manny's head. He does not believe or suspect that Prof would do that. Um, but he's confused, nevertheless. Last night you didn't seem to be on her side. Why do you care so much about her? Right? Um, and Prof has to explain. Right? Manny, you don't, you don't get it. Um, we differ only in tactics, not in objectives. She is my comrade. Um, that's binding to him. Right? Um, to see his... And Manny has no sense of this, right? He has no sense of that, like, we are both part of this, we are both pledged to this higher thing. Um, that's not on his radar screen. He's polite to her. Um, he's nice to her. Um, he treats her well, but he would do that with anyone, right? Again, he's just a nice guy. Um, he's not devoted to the cause, even though he says he's with her in spirit. Like, he's hardly gonna, he's certainly not gonna think her out to the authority. He wouldn't do that to anybody. Um, but, uh, but he's not, he's not enthusiastic about her. Um, he seems to be closer to her side than Prof was. Prof was speaking against her actively. He wasn't gonna do that, right? Um, uh, but he's not on her side. He's not committed to this. Um, Prof, you know, speaks very strongly of this higher level, right? This, which Manny himself does not, um, uh, does not see. It's not how, it's, this is alien to Manny. And that I think is an important element of his character and one of the important dynamics of the story, right? To sort of watch what happens with that, uh, over the course of the book. Cause it changes to some extent that changes. Um, but I find that really interesting to see. Um, more on Prof's values uh, and how he looks at things and how he operates. Um, they're talking about communication. So this is now after he's there. So the three of them are there. They've had their breakfast and uh, they're uh, all talking together. Um, 
And they're talking about how the story of the raid and the riot last night did not make the papers. Um, and Manny is here agreeing about this. Uh, Wyo seems unaware of the fact that the warden can censor all of the news feeds. Sure, I agreed. At Complex, anything can be added, cut, or changed. And that, senorita, is the weakness of our cause. Communications. Those goons were not important, but crucially important is that it lay with the warden, not with us, to decide whether the story should be told. To a revolutionist, communications are a sine qua non. Wyo looked at me, and I could see synapses snapping, so I changed subject. Prof, why get rid of bodies? Besides horrible job, was dangerous. Don't know how many bodyguards Warden has, but more could show up while you were doing it. Believe me, lad, we feared that. But although I was almost useless, it was my idea. I had to convince the others. Oh, not my original idea, but remembrance of things past, an historical principle. What principle? Terror. A man can face known danger, but the unknown frightens him. We disposed of those finks, teeth and toenails, to strike terror into their mates. Nor do I know how many effectives the warden has, but I guarantee they are less effective today. Their mates went out to an easy mission. Nothing came back. Um, we can see here, Prof is very polite. Prof is very idealistic, right? He, you know, his comrade talk, binding relationship, right? He's very, he believes in this ideal of comradeship. Um, and his, even if, though, not only does he think that he, she's wrong, he thinks that she's disastrously wrong. He thinks that her, um, her plan, if it were put into place, would lead to the complete destruction of Luna within 50 years. Um, so he opposes her really... It's, he says, oh, it's just tactics. Which is true, on the one level. But it's way more than that. But nevertheless, again, his ideals are much more important to him. And yet we, 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 we get a glimpse here of his... Uh, of some of his other tactics, right? This is a really... I mean they ground the bodies up like hamburger meat uh, so that they could dispose of them down the sewer is kind of what they, I mean, they chopped up the bodies of uh, the, uh, of the, of the police, of the warden's guards that came. Um, and uh, um, he, um, he noticed, he doesn't blink about this, right? I mean, he, um, uh, he fears that they would be caught, right? Um, but it was his idea, right? Because this is best um, calculated to further their cause, right? To create terror because the unknown frightens people. Um, however many effectives the warden has, they'll be less effective today, right? Um, and yeah, uh, Stephen and Arthur, as you're both suggesting, um, he is a terrorist. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is one of the ways in which it, he's going to resist uh, the authority. He's dedicated to resisting the authority. Um, now, notice he is an extremely cerebral terrorist, right? There, there is, there is, there is strategy and tactics behind everything that he does, right? He has his overall goal, and he is willing to analyze it and to pursue um, the best course of action, the course of action that will most uh, directly and efficiently 
lead to that end. And we see this when he's um, describing how to build a revolution, right? Um, I love his cheerfulness throughout this whole conversation. Prof dimpled. The, number, the trouble with conspiracies is that they rot internally. When the number is as high as four, chances are even that one is a spy. Wyo said glumly, You make it sound hopeless. Not at all, my dear. One chance in a thousand, perhaps. I can't believe it. I don't believe it. Why, in the years I've been active, we've gained members by the hundreds. We have organizations in all major cities. We have the people with us. Prof shook, Prof shook head. Every new member made it that much more likely that you would be betrayed. Wyoming, dear lady, revolutions are not won by enlisting the masses. Revolution is a science only a few are competent to practice. It depends on correct organization, and above all, on communications. Then at the proper moment in history, they strike. Correctly organized and properly timed, it is a bloodless coup. Done clumsily or prematurely, and the result is civil war, mob violence, purges, terror. I hope you will forgive me if I say that, up to now, it has been done clumsily. I love how Prof... Prof is, like, never upset. He never gets upset. And he can talk about all of this stuff with complete sang-froid. He clearly believes in it, right? His, his belief is not a question. He's not casual about it. It's not like he doesn't care. He is completely committed to the idea of revolution. And yet, um, he is extremely analytical, Right? And in fact, of course, I can't help but think of Mike. I can't help but think of Mike. Um, he is a lot like Mike in his analysis of... He's the first one to talk about the... to try to calculate the odds, right? And he calculate, cheerfully calculates the odds as one in a thousand, right? Um, yes, yes. Um, committed with dimples, Jocelyn, exactly. Exactly. Now, Arthur, he does have a sense of superiority. I mean, there's no question that he believes that he knows better because he's studied more about this. He just he's he's learned more about how this should work, both through his own experience, uh, which is quite extensive. He was a revolutionary on Terra as well, it turns out, uh, of course. And um, uh, so he's he's through his own experience as a revolutionary, uh, but also through his extensive study that others have not had the benefit of doing. So on the one hand, he's you know he's very um, you know, he knows that he knows more about this than most people. But of course, when he says things like revolution is a science only a few are competent to practice, I don't think he means there are very few people as good as I am at doing this. I mean, I think he does kind of believe that. But, but I don't think that's what he's saying there. Um, I think he's saying that revolution is a science only competent to be practiced by a few. That is, if you... Are more if there are more than a few of you practicing it, it's not going to work. Um, yeah, Ellen, I agree. There's this wonderful paradox in him, isn't it? Like he is the passionate revolutionist who's always completely polite and disp he's he's the the dispassionate um, uh, uh, rebel leader. He's the polite terrorist. Um, he is the anarchist who has a very precise idea about organizing people into a hierarchy to get things done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and Prof just like completely embraces all of these sort of ironies within his character. Um, but more on the, uh, more on the, 
uh, his his uh, superiority and his idea about the few. <clears throat> Wyo looked baffled. What do you mean by correct organization? Functional organization. How does one design an electric motor? Would you attach a bathtub to it simply because one was available? Would a bouquet of flowers help? A heap of rocks? No. You would just use those elements necessary to its purpose and make it no larger than needed. And you would incorporate safety factors. Function controls design. So it is with revolution. Organization must be no larger than necessary. Never recruit anyone merely because he wants to join. Nor seek to persuade for the pleasure of having another share your views. He'll share them when the time comes. Or you've misjudged the moment in history. Or, oh, there will be an educational organization, but it must be separate. Agitprop is no part of basic structure. Never recruit anyone merely because he wants to join. Wyo's approach to revolution is much more kind of warm-blooded and feels much more natural. We have the people on our side. We have to go out there and, 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 and recruit the people, right? We've got to, the more people join, the more you can see that our revolution is, is taking hold. The more inevitable does our eventual success become. Um, the more solidarity we have among all the people, right? Uh, lovely. Lovely idea and a very understandable um, sort of, you know, uh, emotion, right? But Prof says that's not functional. Never recruit anyone merely because he wants to join. Um, that is a fascinating approach, right? Um, a revolution should be like an electric motor. You don't just attach anything else, anything that comes because it's available. It's not going to make the engine run better. It's got to run. The engine's got to run. Um, if it doesn't run, there's no point to it, right? Um, so don't go adding a bouquet of flowers or a bathtub to your electric motor. Um, functional organization is the way to approach it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I agree. James, you're right that uh, it is more, uh, I, I call this the scientific approach to revolution, but it's more like the engineering ap approach to revolution. Yes. Um, but certainly, again, with his traditional dispassionate analysis of how things should work, right? Oh, yeah, we'll teach people, right? We'll get to education. We'll get to solidarity with the people. But that's not how you make it happen. That's not the mechanism for revolution occurring. All right, well, we're, I'm, I kept you guys late last time, and I don't want to keep you late uh, again tonight. Um, and I think I am correct. This is a perfect place to stop. So I'm going to stop here. Um, we, we did almost everything. The one part of uh, my discussion I, I would plan to have tonight uh, was when we were talking about... Um, uh, when talking about how the two things come together. We talked about Mike and Manny's relationship with Mike and uh, Mike's personality, and we talked about the revolution. Um, and I want to next look at how those two things begin to come together. So we'll we'll continue forward. So we've read through Chapter 5 for tonight. So let's go... Let's, let's, let's go for broke. Let's read through Chapter 8. So three more chapters for next time. Um, and I'm, we're going to begin by looking at those two things. How... How does Manny end up in a revolution? How does that come about? And 
how does Mike end up running a revolution, <laughs> right? Um, how does that come about? And what do we learn from that? What does that, uh, what does that show us? Um, ooh, Devor, great question. Ask that next time. Can we talk about Manny's intended audience? Really great question. Let's talk about that next time. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for joining me again this week. Um, and I will see you next week. We're coming up towards a point. Um, I'll, I'll be here next week, but then we're going to be off for a couple weeks after that. I'm going away, and then I'm going to Mythmoot. I'm going, going away twice for two weeks in a row. Um, but we will be here next week. So uh, through Chapter 8 for next week. Thanks, everybody. Good night. See you next week.